Hey, if you brought a Bible, Acts chapter 20 is what you need to find. Uh, If you didn't bring a Bible or flat out don't own one, make sure you grab one from Connection Corner on your way out. That's our gift to you. Uh, Before we dive into the passage this morning, though, I want to just publicly say a quick thank you to everybody. October's Pastor Appreciation Month, and uh, I felt very appreciated. Thank you for cards and uh, coffee and cash and everything else that you guys gave. I'm not sure how to feel about that. Uh, You know, I just always felt uh, like I'm just being obedient to God. You know, this is just my job. I don't know that I have to be shown appreciation. I feel like, you know, where's drywall guy appreciation? You know what I'm saying? Like, where's construction guy appreciation day because I feel like uh, I'm just doing what what God has called me to do. But again, want to say thank you. The real hero in the whole church planting relationship, as far as I'm concerned, is my wife, Laura. People need to be thanking her uh, for everything that she does because she has to live with me. So uh, we uh, never intended to to be a a pastoral couple. Um, And so she's really the one who's had to sacrifice more probably than anybody. So uh, but we're all thankful for you, thankful for this church. You know, when we started the church uh, roughly five years ago, we just really wanted to be a place that we felt like it was safe to invite our friends. Uh, you know, we felt like there were plenty of churches for church people, uh, but we never felt like we'd necessarily fit into that category. And so we just wanted to be a place where we could say, you know what, no, you can, you can come our our church and it'll be fine. Nothing weird is going to happen. And so we recruited a team of people to help us do that. And, and this is the result of that. And I'm really thankful for the place that you all have helped create a culture and environment for. And so, uh, again, want to want to just say thank thanks to you. And really what we believe here is that when we open the Bible, God opens his mouth. And the thing that we most wanted when we planted the church is for people to connect to God, that we felt like one second the presence of God could radically transform your life. We knew how much God had changed our lives. I'm just telling you, if you all knew me in 1999, you wouldn't be here right now. I can promise you that right now. So uh, God's really done something. And so we really wanted uh, to be a place where we just open our Bible, expect God to do some amazing things when, when he spoke to us through it. And so if you're a guest with us, what we like to do is uh, throughout the year is open up, uh, open up the Bible. We call it a message series. And you picked a great Sunday to come to church. I know there's a lot of things you can do on a Sunday, but I'm glad you're here because we're starting a brand new message series called It's All Greek to Me. And I'm sure you've heard the phrase, it's an idiom in English, meaning something is incomprehensible. Uh, It actually started uh, with Julius Caesar. Shakespeare is who first wrote this. Uh, So if you're familiar with him, I wrote down the actual quote from Julius Caesar. Cassius asks Servilius Casca, did Cicero say anything? I, he spoke Greek. To what effect? Nay, and I tell you that those who understood him smiled at one another and shook their heads, but for mine own part, it was Greek to me. In other words, I have no idea what that brother was talking about. They're speaking a language that, I mean, it's like us reading Shakespeare. We have no idea what that brother's talking about, you know. Uh, And I'm sure you've been at the grocery store or something, and people started speaking Spanish, and you felt uncomfortable because you didn't know what they were saying, or you've been to the doctor, and, you know, he's speaking weird words, big words that you can't understand, or in an accent you don't understand. It's all Greek to me. Uh, in my situation, it's when we get together with Laura's sisters and their mom, and they start saying words that I've never heard before, but they know what they're talking about. It's Greek to me. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've been there. And uh, somebody say, what? 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 
that's what we're going to talk about today. What is that doing in the Bible? If you didn't realize it in the New Testament, primarily it's written in Greek, hence the, the name of the message series. Uh, it's primarily written in Greek, which that's super convenient if you're going to start a worldwide religion that everybody speaks Greek and in the known world, thanks to uh, you know some different people who revolutionized the new world or the world back then, they all were speaking Greek, you know, Alexander the Great and everybody. And so that's super helpful to write the entire New Testament in Greek, but uh, it doesn't help us if, regardless of what language it's written in, if it's still weird and we don't know why it's in there. And so that's what we're trying to accomplish this morning. The next four weeks, we're trying to make sense of the nonsensical in the New Testament. Uh, This morning, I want to speak to you on the subject of not sleeping in church. Uh, The title of my message is Church Sleeping. And make no mistake, I've seen you. Uh, you, you think you're hiding it, but I'm a veteran church sleeper myself. I spent my entire young adult life trying to figure out how to sleep in class and in church. And, you know, I do the whole, like, pretend I'm reading my Bible thing, but, you know, you, you do one of these and you're, like, looking around to make sure nobody knows you. I've seen you. Uh, so you, you need to look at your neighbor and say, he's on to us. <laughs> I know exactly what you're doing, and you're trying not to sleep. And I want to tell you why it's a problem, per Acts chapter 20, for you to sleep in church. Here we go. Let's pick it up in verse 7. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. The upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps as Paul spoke on and on and on and on and on and on. Paul, shut it down. A young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill became very drowsy. Finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. Keep in mind that the guy who's writing this passage for us in Acts, his name's Luke. Luke occupationally is a physician. So Luke would know if a brother has died or if he just was knocked out because of the fall. He records for us, and the Bible wants us to make note of the fact that Eutychus is dead. He gone. Verse 10. Paul went down, bent over him, and took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said. He's alive. Then they all went back upstairs, shared the Lord's Supper, and ate together. Like, ah, that happens all the time. You know, Paul's raising somebody from the dead again. Here we go. Let's just go finish the meal. Uh, You know, there's no reason for us to go hungry. I mean, he's fine. He's alive now. Uh, Might I suggest to you that as a church, we should never miss the miracles God is performing just because we find it's normal. uh, Since our beginning uh, five years ago, 85 people have made decisions for Christ. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, you, sh- you can clap for that. Uh, we get to the point where it's just kind of like normal, but n- that's never normal. The- they- they've went from death to life. This is the miracle of why we started this church and what we're doing every single week. Let us not be the place where, well, well, let's just go grab some lunch. Somebody else got saved. Somebody else got baptized. No, that's not, not the point. Paul continued talking to them until dawn, because that's what he does. And then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home alive and well, and everyone was greatly relieved, especially him. Uh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that we have the freedom to come and gather in this place to hear from you. We're asking you to do what only you can do and open up our hearts, open up our minds, uh, speak to us. We want to hear from you. Nobody's come 
to hear from me, but rather to encounter your presence. Send your Holy Spirit in a powerful way. Thank you for this change of season. Thank you for this, the greatest time period in the history of the world, this basketball season, God. We praise you for that. Thank you for James Naismith. Thank you for sending him to the world's greatest university in Lawrence where Jesus would have played basketball. Help them as they're the number one team in the country. Amen. So, sleep can be a dangerous thing if you think about it. Uh, As I get older, I find myself waking up sometimes injured, like all I did was sleep. Uh, I'm sure maybe you've been there as well. But uh, in our context, while Eutychus fell asleep during the church service, we're not nearly in the same physical danger as he was. You know, sitting in the chair, how harmless, you know, could that be if you fell asleep? If you fell out of it, you know, you might bump your head or something, but you're not going to die. Uh, more uh, in our context, falling asleep can be dangerous while you're driving. I think that's the most dangerous time for anybody to fall asleep. And uh, the, the uh, people say, well, when you fall asleep, you, what can you do? Because, I mean, that's just the worst, isn't it? When you get drowsy while you're tired, they say, well, crack a Red Bull, you know, get some coffee, uh, to roll the windows down, make sure it's cold in the vehicle, turn the radio up on some loud music, slap yourself, you know, that is supposed to help you. But have you ever pulled up next to that guy? You know, at the stoplight, and he's slapping himself and just screaming at the radio and cranking Red Bull, and you're just like, oh, hey, you know, kids, do not look directly at that man. That could lead to something that we don't want to experience at all. But unfortunately, a lot of us get drowsy while we sleep. The, the statistic is that uh, 28% of us admit falling asleep while driving. Uh, 30% of people have admitted that they do not get enough sleep. And then the, the most harming and alarming statistic about that is the fact that, uh, according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, sleepy drivers were involved in 100,000 accidents. It resulted in 1,500 deaths and 40,000 injuries just last year. Studies show that if you try and drive after being awake for 18 straight hours, you perform at the same uh, capacity as someone with a, with a blood alcohol level content of 0.08, which is the, the legal limit for, for driving while drunk. So if you've ever stayed awake for 18 hours and tried to drive, you're, you're legally drunk, which is you know alarming since you cover 117 feet per second when you're behind the the wheel of a car, which, you know, that means in any number of seconds, you could do an alarming amount of danger. In four seconds, you cover the length of a football field, which is also why you should not look at your phone while driving because of the amount of distance you're going to travel. And and just in that, you know, small amount of time, something tragic could happen. Um, A while back, Mercedes-Benz developed a a feature in their vehicles to combat this. Uh, They call it the attention assist drowsiness detection system, which that's easy to say, you know, ADS, I guess is the the acronym, but uh, it has a sensitive feel for a driver's uh, ability when they're sitting in. It measures 70 things, and if the car feels like you as the driver are falling asleep, it'll send a visual and an auditory 
um, display to you so that it hopefully will wake you up. Or if you, you know, veer outside your lane, this is very standard on most vehicles today. You know, how have we gotten into the place as a country where, you know, this is what we need to have on our vehicles just so people can, you know, be safe while driving. I'll never have to worry about it since I'll never be able to afford a Mercedes Benz. But, uh, You know, sleeping can be very dangerous. Don't fall asleep behind the wheel. Don't fall asleep in church. But for as much danger as there is while sleeping, there's a lot of uh, good that can come from sleeping. You know, I like to tell people that, um, you know, when I die, I hope I die in my sleep, you know, not screaming like the other people in the vehicle when they're with. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Uh, but, but sleeping is good. It's good for your body. I, I don't know if you realize this, but when you, you get tired, it's actually, there's some poison in your blood and it's triggering the, the, the chemicals in your brain, melatonin, so that you can fall asleep. And so really sleep is necessary for your body that you can recover from illness and disease and all these things. And this is how your God designed our bodies to, to work. And uh, you'll sleep roughly a third of your life. Let that sink in. If you live 80 years, which is the average in America, life expectancy, 80 years, you're going to sleep roughly 27 years of your life. Uh, longer if you hit the snooze button, by the way. Uh, they found uh, statistically that 58% of Americans will hit their snooze button. Uh, anybody in here a snooze button person? Okay, interesting. 70% of Brits will hit their, their snooze button, which is you know, likely why they lost the Revolutionary War. <laughs> Hashtag America. God bless it. You know, thank God George Washington crossed the Delaware in the morning because everybody was asleep on Britain's side. But, uh, three and a half months of, on average, you'll waste hitting the snooze button by saying, you know what, I'm not ready, morning, no thank you, I'm staying in bed. Three and a half months, you'll lose. It's also why they say you should invest in a really good mattress uh, because you're going to spend so much time sleeping in bed. Uh, it's, it's true, but uh, here we have a young man who has fallen asleep at an inopportune time. This was not beneficial for him. Uh, he ends up falling to his death. Uh, in God's providence, he doesn't stay dead, but I think it's a warning to all of us to be careful about how we spend our lives and the decisions that we make. So two named characters, two lessons that we can learn from each character. You might want to jot this down if you're taking notes. First of all, from Eutychus, we learn that sometimes it's better to stay awake. Uh, we know that's true. Sometimes it's better to stay awake. Sometimes it's better to stay awake while driving. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Uh, I don't know if you all got caught up in the royal wedding fever that people had and, you know, Meghan Markle getting uh, married and and entering into the royal family. I was not particularly interested, but I found an article uh, as I was reading uh, USA Today, I believe is where it was at, and they listed all of the things that Meghan Markle will no longer be allowed to do. Uh, when she entered into the royal family. And you might want to make note of this for yourself in case you're invited to to the castle. You know, my invitation has subsequently been destroyed after that whole snooze button comment, but that's okay. Uh, But you can't go to bed before the queen. So that's one of the one of the rule, you know, I guess, thank God she's a thousand years old or whatever, and she probably takes naps so you can go to bed. I'm definitely not going now. That's ridiculous, but... (laughs) You live and learn, you know, 
edit that out of the video. But uh, yeah, you can't go, you can't go to bed for the queen. It's one of the the royal laws. Meghan Markle had to find that out, and uh, so physically, there you know it is good to stay awake. But more to the point, what I'm driving at, what I think Eutychus teaches us, is that spiritually, it's better to stay awake. You know, some of you are saved, but you're asleep. And God brought you here this morning to, to help you that, you know, to realize you need to wake up. Uh, there's part of your sanctification process that needs to happen in you, but you're slumbering. And, and God wants you to realize that, and he wants you to get back on track and, and back onto the right path to how he's called you to live. Our boy Paul uh, found this particularly uh, compelling when he wrote a letter to a church in Rome, and he writes this in Romans 13. This is all the more urgent for you to know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. Put on the shining armor of right living. The uh, same is true for us today. We're, we're one day closer to Jesus coming back and us going to spend an eternity with him than we were well, a day ago. And what we need to do in response to that is live correctly. Take off these dirty deeds. Do what God has called us to do in this right living. Too many people believe that, well, I'll take care of that tomorrow. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll stop doing whatever it is I feel convicted of. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it the next day. None of us are guaranteed the next day. People think, well, I'll, you know, I'll invite them the next Christmas. I, I know they, it'd probably be helpful for them to go to church, but it's just so weird. And maybe next time. I'll start giving when I get my student loans paid off. There's just not a place for that right now in the budget. And I'll start serving when, uh, you know, things slow down at home. It's just so busy right now. And, and you're asleep. You're a comatose Christian if that's your attitude. Scripture makes that clear. And, you know, you can stay awake for 18 innings of the World Series, but you can't get up early and, you know, serve at the church. And, uh, sorry, not sorry if that too, you know, hit too close to home. But uh, God's asked us to wake up, some, to do some things in response to the fact that He's come to the earth and saved us of our sin. And He says, hey, in response to that, you should love the people around you, you know, which makes a bigger difference. Knowing the score of the game or, or setting up a chair or, or, or helping in kids' ministry so that somebody could come in and sit down and hear the gospel maybe for the first time and God changed their life. I would argue the latter, and I would argue that God has created you for a purpose. He's designed you with all of your talents and all of your gifts and all of your abilities. He, he had that in mind. He put you on this planet at this time for the purpose of you discovering what those things are in order to make a difference. So I'm so passionate about you going through our next series of classes so that you can discover why God made you. The greatest day in the history of the world is the day you are born. The second greatest day is the day you figure out why you were born. And we want to help you do that so you can, you know, use your gifts for God's glory and your joy. I think you'll only be awake, awake in life when you're doing something to serve God. Amen, somebody. This is what God has you here for. Um, but I don't know what that is in your life. I just know don't turn in too soon. You know, don't fall asleep before you've accomplished the purpose God has in your life. 
when I was an undergraduate at Wichita State, in one of my political science classes, I had a kid who had narcolepsy. Now, we didn't know that on the front end, but, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of class, this kid would just fall asleep randomly, and he would sprawl out, and he would start snoring, and I mean, it was super distracting, and we were just all, like, looking at him, like, you know, what's going on here, professor? And finally, the light bulb triggered in the professor's mind, oh, maybe I should clue everybody else in that this kid has narcolepsy. He's not just sleeping, you know, because he had a rough night the night before or whatever. Uh, it's, it's a disease. And, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, dang, what's a kid got to do to get a doctor's note, you know, for himself? <laughs> He's got narcolepsy, but uh, apparently that's more complicated than I realized. Uh, but he, he uh, you know, the pills wouldn't work or whatever, and he'd just randomly fall asleep, and we'd all be staring at him because of it. And what I'm telling you is spiritually, some of you all are asleep, and the Christians around you are just super distracted by it, and they're watching you, and now they're not accomplishing their purpose because they're too distracted watching you, and you need to wake up. Uh, the only dreaming that happens in this church is dreaming about how many lives are going to be changed because of us accomplishing our purpose together. Uh, we dream about how many churches we're going to plant because we believe that's the best way to reach people with the good news of the gospel. We dream about the world being changed because you're God's plan A and there's not a plan B. That's what we dream about. Felt like I was really preaching good there and you all are just staring at me again. It was like, okay, but... Lesson two, sometimes it's better to be silent. We learn from Eutychus, sometimes it's better to spiritually waken up. Sometimes, though, it's also better to be silent. Uh, That's what Paul teaches us. You've maybe heard the phrase, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. There's a lot of truth to that. Uh, at some point, you're going to have to use words. At some point, the, you know, the Bible makes it clear who's going to preach, you know, how they're going to be saved if nobody's there to preach to them. So at some point, you're going to have to use your words, but by and large, actions speak louder than words. And that's what you need to realize as a Christian is you've got people watching you in your life. And um, my point here is that Jesus never rebuked any unbeliever's behavior in Scripture. You realize that, Right. Uh, he, he reserved his rebuke for people like the Pharisees, the religious folks. And he, he was never condemning behavior uh, until after he introduced people to himself and to God, his Father. And t- so much to the point that people thought Jesus was a drunk. They were like, why is he always hanging out with all the terrible people and the drunk people and the prostitutes? And, you know, they accused him of abhorrent things because he was so concerned with raising the dead to life and helping them discover what life is all about. And uh, he never went to somebody's house and started flipping over tables and whipping them and talking about, what are you doing? Get your act together. He reserved that for the temple leaders. And when they were not helping the people encounter God the way God had asked them to do. And the same is true in your life. People are looking to you to figure out how life is supposed to work. If you're a Christian, you should be exuding this confidence in God and and how he's created you. This is exactly what Paul was doing. He was teaching people about Jesus. It says he was going on and on, but, you know, uh, he knew that this was his last day. Uh, He planted this church, 
And he was invested wholeheartedly in it, but he knew that God had called him to go plant a bunch of other churches as well. And so he was just trying to communicate all these things about, okay, because God, Jesus raised from the dead and because he's changed our life, here's how we need to act in response to that. And that's what all of his letters are about, writing to these churches to, for us, even 2,000 years later, to look at that and say, okay, here's how we need to respond. But this is what Paul was doing on that night. He was, he was teaching people. And uh, what I, I, I think we learn from him a little bit, though, is that sometimes it's not about everything that you say. It's about what you do. I think that's one of the most humbling things as a parent, that, that sometimes it's not about what, what I say. It's, it's what I do. And my kids are going to emulate me. And, and as a Christian, the same thing is true for you and people are going to emulate you and imagine if you were a parent and you got the news that you know what tomorrow is your last day on earth and imagine everything you would want to tell your kids in response to knowing that you had 24 hours to live i would argue none of you are going to go to sleep you're going to be like paul and preach on and on and on you're going to write things down you're going to video it and you're going to say okay if this happens here's how you need to respond if this happens here's how you need to respond and uh, last year, Layton's teacher asked them uh, in first grade to, uh, to do a, uh, a time capsule. And she said to, to well, some of the things you should put in the time capsule are like toys that they're super interested in. So when they graduate high school, they can see it. And, you know, for Layton, it was a fidget spinner and Legos. And you know, back in my day, it would be the slap bracelet. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm talking about? The, uh, the pogs. Y'all know anything about pogs? I forgot about pogs. Boop, flip. That's mine. You don't know about it. That's fine. Uh, look it up. <laughs> Google. Uh, but she also said put uh, a, a news article in the, in the time capsule so they could see what was happening in the world. And then she challenged the parents to write a letter to your child, what you would want them to know. And so I wrote 18 things I would want my 18-year-old son to know. And you realize how hard it is to just narrow life down to 18 things. Um, but then I realized, you know, some things can only be learned through experience. And that's one of the hardest lessons to learn in life, that you have to go through it um, regardless of what I say. You know, how many times did my parents tell me something? Uh, what do you know? You know, I mean, come on, parent. And you had to learn through experience. You had to learn things the hard way. The reason we can remember guys like Billy Graham and Martin Luther King Jr. and Abraham Lincoln, the reason we're still quoting them today is because their words match their actions. You know, if they weren't living the way that they were communicating, we wouldn't be talking about them today. And the same thing is true in your life. You need to be living the same way you're speaking. It's not always about articulating information. It's about demonstrating obedience. This is what Proverbs tells us in 1728. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. Uh, somebody said that Mark Twain wrote this, better to remain silent and thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. You know what I'm saying? Been there in that meeting before. Uh, insert foot in mouth here uh, repeatedly, you know. 
but sometimes it's better to remain silent. What I'm really hoping you start to think about is what's my attitude towards God? Am I live, am I, is my general disposition just one of somebody who's been brought from death to life? Am I just happy to be alive that God sent his son Jesus to this earth to die for me while I was yet a sinner? Uh, am I just happy to be alive that he allowed me to trust in Jesus and, you know, compelled me to, to put my faith in him? And am I just going to laugh and have fun in life because fullness of joy is only found in Jesus? Is this just my general disposition? How, how can I not be happy knowing everything God has done for me, all the, the times that he's been working behind the scenes. It doesn't mean that my life's just always been, you know, bunnies dancing on rainbows and eating chocolate. I'm not saying that. Well, I'm just saying, can you be happy no matter what? In all things, through Christ who gives me strength. I'm going to find joy even in the hardship of life because God has raised me to life doesn't require you to preach to somebody in order to do that. They should be around you and just be like, you know what, there's something different about you and I want whatever you got. And then you can articulate the fact that how much God has changed your life through Jesus. But uh, more often than not, it's about your actions. It's not about what you say. And people more often than not are looking at you in your down moments to see how you'll respond. Is this the same God that you can talk about when you're happy and everything is going good? Can you do the same thing when when you're going through trouble. And that's what people are really looking. But uh, back to Eutychus. Write this down. Be careful where you sit. Careful where you sit. Sat in an open window, in the wooden uh, window sill. It didn't say he sat near the window. It says he sat in it with one eye watching what was going on in the world and one eye trying to watch what was happening in church. Uh, that is to say, he, he wanted to, to be in the place where God was, but he was too focused on what was happening outside the world. And you, when you preoccupy yourself with what's happening in the world, you'll end up falling asleep to what God is doing in the church. Uh, it's very difficult to be the person God has called you to be while walking two different roads. And so you need to be careful where you sit and not sit uh, watching and what's happening out in the world and being infatuated by culture and the things that, you know, are meant to distract you from your purpose. And there's way too many in the American church specifically who are trying to be cool instead of being Christ-like. And we're called to make a difference in this world. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not advocating for you to swing the other way either, where, you know, you start making your own clothes and churning your own butter and, you know, canning everything in your bomb shelter. Uh, that's not helpful either. And isolating yourself from the world or being infatuated with it. There's a happy medium in there. And this is what that we need to learn from Eutychus. And uh, the, the, the reason we should participate and, and care with what's in the world is so that we can minister to it. God has said, we're a missionary. You know, you wouldn't send a, somebody to Africa without knowing anything about Africa. 
And so God doesn't, you know, expect you to go into America, into Wichita, Newton, Park City, wherever you're from, not knowing about what's happening in culture. So yes, and amen, know what's going on, uh, but be aware of it. Don't be allured by it. You see in the difference, uh, don't get caught up in being distracted with something uh, without figuring out a way to know I'm going to watch this in order to, to know how to minister to it or, or because of it. Or I'm going to read this so I can help figure out how to connect this back to God. And uh, what I'm more concerned about uh, is that nobody cared enough to wake poor Eutychus up. You know, be careful where you sit uh, if you're not sitting next to somebody who has the courage and the audacity to say, you're about to fall asleep. The the path that this takes you to is not a helpful one. Uh, This is why it's important to have the right people in your life to surround yourself with Christians and, and people who are going to have the courage to say, this takes you to death. This is the reason this is bad for the reason it's bad for you to get on that website, get on the computer, watch that pornography. It's because this leads to death. The reason it's bad for you to take that loan and invest in that, you know, scheme is because it leads to bankruptcy. The reason you shouldn't be around these friends is because they're compromising your morals and bad company corrupts good character and, and you're going to make some bad decisions and here's where that leads. Some of y'all need to break up with boyfriends and break up with girlfriends and get rid of some of your horrible friends because they're life-sucking and and they're not leading you where God wants you to go. You might have come to church with them right this morning. Uh, Break up with them right now. I'll give you 30 seconds just to do... I mean... Uh, here's what, here's what Proverbs writes. Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise, become wise. Associate with fools, get into trouble. God brought you here this morning to say, wake up. I'm your friend saying, wake up. Stop going down that path. You're, you're, you're spiritually off track. Get back on the path. God wants to use you and move through you and speak through you and do amazing things through your life, but you've got to wake up. Which leads me to my last point. Point number three. The fourth thing that we can learn from Paul. Uh, this is spiritually advanced. This is master's level stuff. So you've got to be able to do the, the first thing. You've got to spiritually, you've got to stay awake. Sometimes you've got to learn when to be silent. You've got to be careful where you sit so that you can be there when people stumble. This is what Paul teaches us. Be there when people stumble. Paul didn't say, well, it serves him right. He wasn't li- this is the best message I've ever preached. He's going to fall asleep during it. Let him lay out there. That wasn't Paul's attitude at all. He didn't judge him for where he sat or what he was doing or, or any of those things. He walked down the stairs, the three flights of stairs, went to Eutychus, embraced him in his arms, spoke life to him through the power of the Holy Spirit. God raises him to life through Paul. And uh, the name Eutychus, you might be interested to know, it means fortunate. He was very fortunate. He was fortunate to be at a church that cared about life, that cared about restoring life back to people. And I'll I'll say this as we kind of get ready to land the, the plane here. We need to be that same place. Because Jesus stepped down out of heaven, uh, because he walked literally on this earth, because while you were yet a sinner, 
He died for you and rose from the dead, and it's his loving embrace. No matter what you've done in this life, Jesus is there embracing you, saying, no, 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 you're still my son. You're still my daughter. I want to raise you to life. This is the message of the gospel, that God raises us to life. We need to be a place like that, and hear me, we're better together. This isn't just about me. You can find anybody to preach. There's thousands of amazing people online that you can stream in every single week if you want a preacher. This is about all of us together doing what God's called us to do. He's called me to challenge you and coach you and equip you, and he's, he's also asked you to play your part. This is what Ecclesiastes 4.9 says. Two people are better than one because they get more done by working together. If one falls down, the other can help him up, but it is bad for the person who is alone and falls because no one is there to help him. Be careful where you sit. This is a safe place for us because we've got people that want to come alongside you and do life with you and encourage you and lead you to Jesus. But you've got to play your part as well step in and, and start serving and start contributing and go through next to help you discover you know your your gifts talents and abilities and get in a small group because that's where the discipleship is going to happen in the in the best context doing life with other people and and this is what god is is calling you towards to restore life to other people how different would our world look if we were laser focused on this mission if the roughly 250 people that, that go, come through our doors every single week said, you know what, I'm going to make a difference. As a kid or as an adult, I'm going to change the world where God has placed me. Imagine what the world could look like. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, we're so thankful for the opportunity to come and gather into this place. God, we're thankful that You have called us, you've spoken to us, you've equipped us, Um, you've brought us here this morning to encourage us, to to remind us that, no, life is short, and we need to play our part, we need to, to help minister to the people of the world, because you care about them, you care about us, and if... If we believe in you, you've given us new life, we're no longer slaves to sin, because of your power and your Holy Spirit. God, do what you promised to do. Restore life. Bring energy. Help us today just to, to have a day like no other where we're so thankful and praise you and help people around us. Give us eyes to see those people, how we can better serve them. As we continue to pray over that, as you continue to just analyze your own heart and and think about where God is leading you this morning. I know that, that there are people in this room who have yet to trust in Jesus as their Savior. And God brought you here this morning, not by accident, but to say, wake up. I have life for you. I have so much more for you than what you're experiencing. Scripture makes it clear if you'll just confess with your mouth and believe in their heart, you'll be saved. You'll have this new life that I'm talking about. And I want to give you a chance right now because we don't know what the future holds. Just to say in your heart, God, I believe in your son Jesus that he died for me and that he rose from the dead. And because of that, I'm made new 
Thank you for saving me. I repent of my sin, changing my direction, following after you. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for life. We praise you for energy. We praise you for vitality. We're just so thankful for your son, Jesus. And it's in his powerful name that we pray. Amen.